there, there are two things that occur to me. And the first one is that when Gerder says, you know, your, your capacities, which we've, which we found and nurtured together and sort of like, so I take it Tassia was less sociopathic when she first started doing this work, but that Gerder sought her out because of some kind of, you know, sub-sociopathic scoring that, that she did on a test somewhere or something. Yeah, like you get the sense she was right on the line, but now she's been pushed. Yeah, like, no, she's been pushed it. completely. And Gerder is responsible for that as much so as as Tasia is. You know, it's like she 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 got her addicted. She got her, you know, she you know, she gave her the hit. And now Tasia is, you know, a person who, you know, is moving from jolt to jolt. And Yeah, and I mean as terrifying as it is there, I mean, I do understand how somebody could get addicted to that as well. Like, everybody has that day where they're like, man, I wish I was somebody else. It's just this woman actually gets to do that, like, for real. Yeah, I wish I was somebody else, but I also wish that I could just stick a knife into the person next to me and get, well, a, I guess that's and the, get away that with it. That is the unique part, is I don't think everyone adds the caveat of, and if so I could just stab the hell out of yeah, someone. Yeah, and get away with it. So I could just act as violently as humanly possible. Right. Like she's like the world's sloppiest secret agent where it's like, you're not trying to like not leave evidence. You're trying to leave as much evidence as possible because you're planting a narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's uh, in terms of getting addicted to that adrenal jolt of violence, that's, this is the best job in the world. You know, it's considerably easier to I, I just uh, saw in the line of fire again um, for after years and years. And, um, you know, you might not like it or like it or whatever. It's it's a pretty um, uh, it's a pretty specific kind of 1990s action movie. But um, in it, John Malkovich plays a guy who uh, used to be a wet boy working for the CIA and decides to um, assassinate the president of the United States because he can. You know, okay. it's sort of like, well, this is what I've been trained for. You know, I'm very good at it. So uh, I think I will assassinate the the president of the United States because fuck him. <laughs> you know? It's like I the CIA doesn't like me anymore. They sent my friend to my house to kill me. So. Uh, I might as well just do this. And uh, if I get away with it, great. And if I don't get away with it, great. Um, and, you know, th- and what what's very funny to me is that this is just coming off of like a normal assassination program. <laughs> it's like it's like where you got, uh, you know, altered just enough to feel like, well, if I put a gun together, the next step is to shoot someone. You know, um, it's very, very difficult to alter people in that way, as we found out after years and years of trying to make people into into soldiers. You know, it's it's hard to get people to kill as an as just a, you know, sort of snap decision. Right. Because it's always like they try to kind of align them psychologically to a point where they would want to. But then they. You know, it's like by the time you get somebody to that point, yeah, they're they're pretty shitty. Soldiers. Sometimes they're just so broken they don't want yeah, to do exactly. anything. Exactly, they're just pretty sh- shitty soldiers at that point. They they, well, they can't be it's... controlled. Yes, exactly. Right, it's like all the MK Ultra stuff where it's like, well, if we give people LSD and test it, then 
uh soldiers question mark profit yeah exactly right but like the reality is just you get a bunch of acid casualties like what's happening you know um tazia is like the ultimate um extension of that um but it's even worse because she's not a soldier she's not you know she she's just a murderer her job is to murder people that's her job (laughs) which she does yeah which she does and you know um and indeed as i said before getting to like murdering people is uh is probably a perk rather than a rather than a bad thing um I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, too, it's like you don't even have to worry about the. I mean, there's the abstractive guilt, but like you're not the, you're not that person. So that person's just going to get shot and die yeah. and then you're free. Yeah, exactly. This person was going to die either way. You could even have that disconnect of I didn't actually do it. That was somebody else. <laughs> well, at the beginning, I think you can have that disconnect. Um, you Perhaps know, at the like, beginning. Yes. And later, maybe you can sell yourself on the idea that this person was was um assessed as being best for this narrative so if even if i don't take this job somebody else is going to take this job and this person's going to end up dead anyway right yeah, yeah. lots of rationalizations just like an addict might make i mean really they, they do draw a good parallel there i think absolutely um but the the second thing that i wanted to say just very briefly is um you know there's often uh this thing that I play around with in my head, which is um, that uh, as as a woman, uh, I don't see a lot of unrepentantly awful female characters. <laughs> right. It can be a hard sell, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Antasia is kind of unrepentantly awful. Um, you know, she has her moments where she seems like she's trying on the idea of trying to be repentant, but... You know, pretty soon, uh, I, I think on some level she knows that pretty soon her brain will be so damaged it's not going to matter anymore. Yeah. Um, and and then there are those gender issues where it's like, but is she really a woman anymore or is she just a person? Is she just a, an intelligence? You know, I mean, that's an interesting question to get into because it's like if you spend 50 percent of your time as a man, say. Yeah. And 50% like, of your time as a woman. Like, what doesn't that mean you're just split? Or, or like, it, what if you spend 70% of your time as a man, but you're actually a woman inhabiting? You know, it, it gets into interesting well, questions that you can only sort of get into with possession. Yeah, I mean, she seems to be, uh, she seems to be very unhappy in her own skin, so to speak. You know, it's like, which is, I think, emphasized also by the look of Tasia when she's not inhabiting someone else is very pale and like mm-hmm. sort of thin and, you know, like bleached, almost like bleached, like the color has been like just sapped yeah, out of her. Yeah, like she's like she's being vampirized. So she yeah. is like a yeah, vampire, a good... but yeah, but she is like a vampire in that she a psychic vampire in that she attaches herself to these people. And drains the life out of them, really, because eventually they'll be dead. But at the same time, it's like she's being vampirized by this job. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think the, the whiteness of the paleness of her is particularly interesting in, in contrast to the just the gorgeous sets and cost and vibrant colors in the costume. Like, you know, for example, when 
in the opening scene when you have uh, her as Holly, she's wearing this really bright blue outfit that the ho- the hostesses are yeah, wearing. Yeah, it's like a tracksuit. You don't really ever see that blue any other time in the movie, and it's a very different kind of blue than the kind you usually associate with a Cronenberg film, whether it's Brandon or, I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen his other movie, but you know, when I think of David Cronenberg, I think of like that drab blue that he uses so often. I mean, I've seen yes. um, I've seen Antiviral, but I I think Antiviral is a lot of white. Yeah, there's a lot of white. From what I remember, a lot of white, a lot of red. Um, yeah, like a lot of red, pink. like on the white. Yeah, exactly. But um, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right that you know she's like the she's like the palest thing there, and even. The distinction between her and Colin, Colin has like a a sort of a tan, which who knows might be artificial and um, and he's very dark and, you know, um, kind of like I said, beautifully put together, whereas Tassie just looks like, you know, like a paper doll that you that you stuck a tweed overcoat on. Yeah. All right. So where are we? Let's see. Um now they're going to the to John Parsons' house for the toast and for the uh, targeted assassination. That's where they go next. I uh, am yeah. right, yeah, for the party. But uh, she does, uh, you know, she does call in to guard her for a check in, and they. This is the first time I think you hear both Colin's voice and her voice echoing one another, like on the actual soundtrack. So you can just hear a little bit of that double voicing there. Uh, that comes it comes back more and more throughout the rest of the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, simple effect, but effective. Yeah, and also just on the note of going to John Parse's house, I think it's, you know, a little bit on the nose, but the last name Parse in connotation of, of or in the context of data mining, I think is really kind of an under, I don't know that I've heard anybody comment on this, but I think when you, it's interesting to know that like when you're looking at data mining, it's just all this raw information that you can't do anything with until somebody has to interpret it or parse it in some way. And we also have all the gender dialogues going on here and, yeah, there there is some I think connection to the fact that gender as a social construct is something that could be whatever we want it to be, but then when it gets down into specific societies, it takes on specific meanings in particular times. And so, I mean, I'm just kind of fishing a little bit there, but I, I do think it's noteworthy that they gave him that last name and how those all thing all those things connect to one. Yeah. Another. Oh yeah, and the data mining, especially. I mean, that's part of her job is data mining. She's she's in, uh, extrapolating and interpreting disparate elements into what makes one person act how they do and trying to internalize them. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, parse is a very, uh, it, it is a word that has an actual meaning, but it also sounds like a Cronenbergian last name. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, David Cronenberg is kind of uh, famous for putting very weird last names in his um and occasionally weird main names as well, <laughs> weird first names as well. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Stathis Borens from uh, The Fly, the editor, and the ex-boyfriend of Gina Davis, his character, um, where you're just like, where the fuck did that come from? I have no idea. <laughs> you know? um, uh, often I look at uh, the... Um, the names that he tends to use and they, they sort of look like uh, American names as written by Japanese um, manga authors where you're just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's like, mm, I, I, I get that that sounds American, but I don't know. 
Yeah, no, they do have a weird. You're, that's ex- exactly right. And I was like, you know, what is it with the the names that like Ted Peichel? I've never heard anybody named that, but like it just it doesn't quite sound like a real person's name, even though any anything could it's be like a last close name. Close enough that you're like, oh, but it's far enough away. You're like, what? Yeah. Peichel. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, da da da. Okay, so we're at John Parsons' place. Um, yeah, we get a nice. Sean Bean giving his uh, his speech where he's basically like, um, "You bore me. Yeah, you, yeah, you people bore me. Get the fuck out of my house. Except don't." <laughs> yeah, Bo- yeah. It's been something to the effect of like, "Boredom breeds innovation, and you people bore me." Okay, it's very true. corny, but there's some truth to it too. True. Yeah, I mean, sort of. I mean, there's. It's sort of like the truth of a CEO, though. Yeah, where it doesn't actually get into. Like what bores a CEO is definitely a far cry from what bores somebody that has to spend forty hours a week data mining. <laughs> the mm-hmm. the truth the truth of a CEO is that you know um, that's the kind of uh, speech they like because they get to insult everybody and everybody. And right, everybody. they're like, I hate all of you. All right, good night. You know, it's like fuck all y'all. You know, oh, that's so funny. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Yes. But so he does his little speech. He talks about. He has some idea in mind for the future, but they never really specify. No. Um, I I think he's definitely the kind of guy who dangles uh, the possibility of things changing in front of people a lot. And uh, certainly that seems to be the basis of his relationship with Ava, you know, who's sort of like his heir apparent. She's also mentioned that her father's kind of inhuman. Like she hates him as a person yeah. also, yeah. we should say. Yeah. Yeah, she absolutely does hate him as a person because um, he isn't much like a person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, doesn't she say at one point that, uh, <clears throat> well, he definitely drove her, her mother away and he and he says to her, oh, yeah, you're just like your fucking mother. You know, why don't you go live with her in wherever? Dubai? Yeah, I Dubai. Think... <laughs> yeah. He's not a very wholesome family man, for sure. And uh I think you know it's a, it's around here that um, Colin is is instructed or Colin Tasha as Colin is instructed by Girder to uh, like start a, a fight with him in public so that they're setting up the the conflict that's to come. And God, for somebody with social anxiety, this was actually the most stressful thing in the entire movie. Yeah, I was like, well, the murdering, you know, you don't have to worry because they're going to die, but the friggin' having to intentionally have an altercation in a public place, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel and- you pretend to be drunk, you know, and get insulted to your face, you know. Yeah, it's awkward. She makes it awkward. Super awkward. Yeah, I mean, it's, he, he clearly has, you know, John Pars clearly has contempt for him as his daughter's boyfriend, as a lower class person. And so, like, his, the whole setup for the staged conflict is him being drunk and kind of unloading on John Pars, saying, like, you can't walk on me, I'm... I'm a whatever you know. I'm a fucking giant. Yeah, I'm a giant, right? And then he's very—he's like, I'm gonna stick my dick in your daughter's mouth. Oh yeah. And it's like it's okay, alrighty. Yeah, and 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 Parsons like response more than anything else is like, how dare you speak to me? <laughs> you know. It's yeah, like, he's like, go away, fly. Yeah, he's not insulted. He's more like, I'm talking to people. Could you stop? Yeah, exactly. Stop talking, dog. <laughs> you know. But yeah, he gets him kicked out. Um, 
He gets beaten up, or at least he gets a punch to the stomach. And then he just, like, turns back around and comes back in. <laughs> and he kind of lurks around until the party dissipates, and it's just Ava and her father, which I found this to be a little bit... Um, given how she feels about him, I was kind of surprised that she really, like, stuck around and hang, hung out to have drinks with her father afterward. Um, well, I mean, I think also it's a realistic portrayal of, like... Uh, I mean, I've known some people that are from money. I don't want to make a broad <laughs> sweeping statement, but they can get a little hyperbolic in terms of, I hate my fucking dad. I want to kill him. But then, you know, later on, they're like, daddy. They're you still know, family, so. too. I mean, I, I guess I get that. They're still family as well. You know, like, no matter what you say, but like, you might be mad at your mom, but like, you know, still your mom. Yeah. But they go. But yeah, so they're sitting trash. around having drinks and, uh. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, so he he goes He's in. Just like, I like to picture Gerder being like, "Now remember, make this you know cl- clean and surgical." <laughs> She's like, "Got it." Got grabs it. a so fire, fire poker, poker. <laughs> and I'm gonna stick it in his eye and then stir oh, it around. God. It's not. It's in, in the mouth, mouth too. Yeah, yeah oh. it's true. Yeah, yeah. Stick it in his mouth up into his eye socket and then stir it around. <laughs> oh God. It's like, yeah. So I think initially the setup is, um, they come in, Colin comes in, puts the gun on the table. I mean, Sean Breen's pretty, John Pars is pretty funny. He's like, I'm drunk. I want to go to bed. Just leave. Yeah. He's, he's not even scared. Yeah. He's very dismissive. Just like he was earlier. Yeah. He's just like, really dude, just get out of here. Like, what is your problem? And then, then somebody grabs a fire poker and smacks Sean Bean in the the head. Yeah. Starts beating him with it, and then oh god, just rams it into his mouth. And there's an insert of Colin like pulling it back so his teeth just pop oh, out. Yeah, that's yeah. gruesome. It was just like, oh, no. I, I would guess, and then, yeah, through the eye. I would guess a few of the split-second cut shots here were some of the things that might have been cut from the original release. Yeah, I, I think maybe the teeth, because I was yeah. like, I don't remember the teeth. The teeth pop, yeah. it's. Yeah, uh, it, re- it reminded me, like, I, I haven't, like, there's not a lot of direct correlation to Jalo films, but I have read criticism about the movie that talks about how there's some Jalo influence in there. I thought here might be one of those spots in the way that the violence is staged, because I remember... I think in Deep Red and maybe Opera as well, um, there's really tight focus on like a person's mouth and face and damage to it. Um, yeah, and right. Giallo's, it's long been known that Giallo's hate eyes. Oh yeah, there's that too. <laughs> like, they just love to do eyes. that very close jump. insert of something slowly entering an eye. No, that's uh, that's pretty pretty much specifically Fulci. <laughs> well, okay, specifically Fulci. Yeah. But he is such a big part of uh, Giallo. Yes. Uh, but yes, so, uh, yeah, and, and then uh, tragically, you know, Ava's just there trying to escape. I I don't, was she one of the targets? Yes. She was, yeah. She had to be killed to get out the of the target? way okay. for the stepson to be the heir. Yeah. That's and, right, okay. Um, I don't know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a testament to uh, how good the sex was that Tasia actually does, you know, finish her off pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, she shoots her in the back, and then when she's crawling, then she's like, all right, and shoots her in the head. Doesn't do the same for... Uh, for John. For John Parse, which... Uh, 
proves to be an issue. Yeah. Well, you know, he's he's probably not ever gonna be able to think like a person. And right, I don't think he's gonna be able to be a CEO anymore. But like, he's still alive. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we're leaning even more heavily into the body horror. Was like that. That is oof, just the beating he takes is so yeah. severe, and just being left. You know, I mean, he's in a wheelchair, but there's also all kinds of other stuff that's that's damaged in him probably forever. They suggest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, but this I is when we get like a wrecking ball. I mean, you know, yeah, sure. He wasn't like specifically dead, but I, I don't see the problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, but then we get the kind of final take it off my tab. The final act <laughs> issue, which is basically she can't kill herself. And again, it's it's the problem. The problem with it is Colin. The problem with it is that Colin is fighting her. Yeah, and those moments Although, are really... Tellingly, he didn't seem to be fighting her when she was killing, you know, Parsons. No, <laughs> I think Colin was fine with that, but yeah. But there is a part of Colin that doesn't want to die. And, um, yeah, and uh, Tazia should be able to run over that. I'm I'm sorry if you can hear that in the background but um yeah uh there is there is a part of Colin that obviously doesn't want to die um and so he's fighting her um and she's going you know pull me out pull me out um and Gerda's like no you have to you have to finish it we can't pull you out until you finish it essentially and then there's a lot of panic, and uh, I think he just runs away, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's 11th hour stuff. It's like, this is like, we're getting to the period she absolutely has to get out before she suffers brain damage. Yes. Yeah. And she can't get out. Yeah, she can't. She's stuck inside of him. So it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of the flipping of the traditional fear about a possession narrative, which is like, you know, you're following the person who is possessed, and they desperately want whoever's inside of them to leave. This is the flip of that, where you are the possessee, but you can't get out. The trapped. possessor. And possessor, yes. rather, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. but, just uh, like the you know, So, like, Colin basically flees the scene, and he's just, like, panicking, walking as a pedestrian in Toronto, and, and checks into some oh, bathroom. Oh, but we I forgot, think. yes. Piece of glass to the base of the skull. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's true. To, like, I, I, I guess to... I don't know, try to take the implant out? Yes. Yeah. I, Which maybe would default, like, exit you out? I don't know. I know. I think he can tell that there's something in his skull. I don't know. It's hard to tell at that you point. Can, well, yeah, because there's a needle what? that has to go in. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. It's hard to tell who's doing what at that point. Um, but, yeah, he's um, he's walking around with blood all over his clothes you know no one seems to care that's true <laughs> yeah everyone's just like oh you <laughs> there are a couple people like the camera suggests that a couple people are following him that we we don't really know for sure if they are but just it's suggestive of that uh did you all think that i did, did you all yeah feel the same way about that i think that was intentional yeah, yeah i don't know i still don't know after a second watch whether that's real or imagined but yeah it's, it a, it's a paranoid. I mean, there are too. definitely people that are, you know, 
there. I just don't know. I assume they're supposed to be from the company, but I don't know. Yeah. It might be his own kind of artifact in a strange way, you know, like the uh, physicalization of what he's feeling. Um, That's an interesting way. Of, yeah, that could, that could be. But uh, Ger- well, Gerder calls Colin directly and asks to talk because Gerder can now infer that Colin has some level of control and that you know things are not going well and she needs to figure something out. Yeah. Um, and then Colin goes to Rita's because he doesn't know where else to go and he's basically on the run and a, blood, a bloody mess, um, which I thought led to probably the the most heartbreaking moment of the movie, despite everything to come. And he and as Colin says, I should have stayed with Michael uh, to Rita and. Obviously, Michael is Tasha, Voss's ex, well, soon to be ex-husband. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, I wouldn't have noticed that the first time around, but on this time, I was like, wow, that is such a moving moment, even though it goes real quick. Yeah. And Rita does not know what he is talking about. Right. Yeah, I mean, the whole, f- I, I think a lot of the crux of the film is, it's like the fight for humanity and just like the slow erosion of that. And like, you know, earlier in the film, I think, Tasia might have still been able to keep some of her humanity, but she just knows at this point, like, it's just gone. Yeah, so he, he asked Rita if he can stay there, and she's on her way out of town in an amusing echo of the fact yeah, that Thankfully, she hasn't had... checked the news. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> seem to know what's going on, but, you know, I thought it was interesting that Rita is on her way out of town, and with, with a similar but legitimate excuse, similar to Tasha's, when she would always tell Michael she had to leave town. Yes. Um, and then... Uh, you know, as as Rita's taking a shower, getting ready to leave, they show Colin pointing a gun at her. We yeah. don't know how much Colin is controlling that or how much Tasha is controlling that. But, um, you know, they, they pull away before they show anything happening after he points a gun at her in the shower. Yep. It's uh, yeah. He basically um, kills her while struggling with dissociative memories. Um, and the dissociative memories are really interesting. Um, that false fragmented thing that starts happening where they're bleeding into each other, literally, I guess. Um, right. Yeah. And the in camera is like, they have like a prosthetic that combines their faces and they're ripping up. It almost looks like clay oh, yeah. like ripping apart. Yes. And, and he, uh, and he literally rips her face off and sticks it, it over his Oh God. And starts first. wearing it. Yes. Yeah. Sticks it over That's his face so that he can read her memories yeah and i thought it was interesting it's a very too. texas chainsaw but in like more of a clinical way yes yeah, i thought about texas chainsaw too yeah but i thought it was interesting but during just, that there's something also really darkly i don't know if you're supposed to read it this way but there was something really darkly comedic to me about like the memories she has but then it's just colin wearing her face <laughs> yes that's true and just like doing normal stuff yeah, though, yeah, like yeah. tucking her son, having yeah. sex with her husband. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that's, that's right. That was, that was interesting. With the mask on. Yeah. Um, but he's on top of her, notably in a reversal of when Tasia, as Colin, was on top of Colin's girlfriend earlier in the, you know, androgynous. Well, I don't know if androgynous is the right word, but in the scene where she has both a penis and a woman's breasts. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that was, and they also have a like a strangling uh, moment where there was kind of an erotic strangling going on in the sex scene with the girlfriend. But then here it becomes more of like a real violent strangling because he's struggling against her yeah. for real. So there's a whole lot of stuff to unpack about the, the, these particular physical interactions and how they're portrayed also in like the dream sequences. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it's like, it's, it's all these, these deconstructive 
you know, um, moments uh, where gender becomes gender is um, sort of edged into, but then it's kind of unraveled at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's here's gender essentialism and here's no, actually, gender is not essential. <laughs> <laughs> here's all the weird things we can do with it. Yes, we're... Yeah, but at some point, Eddie shows up. Yep. Eddie from work. We find out Eddie's actually been a plant. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie, which, is, which is, especially on a second watch, I found that also very funny because it's like, why did you have the weird backstory then? You didn't need to be the, the perv guy. No, I, I think he just is that guy. and he's Maybe he just is that yeah, guy. His job. He happened to be yeah, there. it also just happens to be a job. Um, yeah, and that thing where Colin like opens the door and Eddie shoots him, but the sh- but it's a taser. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. yeah. Just knocks him out. He's like, uh, you know, it's like, so Cassie Voss, you know, I've heard about you. You're amazing. You know, it's like, we're going to get you out. We're going to get you out of there. You know, She's a legend. Yeah. He says something like, I really like that stabbing you. Oh, did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was a big fan. Yeah. And, uh, oh, you know, another interesting thing that happens during this rapid montage where their memories are bleeding over and he's trying on her face. Uh, he gets a flash of her family's house. So, uh, he knows at least a little bit about her real life uh, because that becomes important. Yes. Yeah. He's like, oh, you live here, huh? <laughs> it's like, this is where those people live. Yes. You yeah, know? So Eddie's kind of a lifeline. Basically, he's, he's the plan. He's going to do something to help Tasia reassert control for a short period of time. They don't really go into a lot of detail, but it involves hooking her up to a machine and basically knocking her out you know, yep. for a little bit. Um, and when she comes to, um, Eddie has been shot and is dead on the floor. Uh, yep. and she, as Colin, uh, goes and finds Rita dead. And then there's all the surreal stuff telling more of the interior story. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's like, she's attempting to make him kill himself and he won't do it. And that more than anything else seems to be the thing that gives him the the energy to overpower her overpower her and to sort of make her into uh, a passenger in her own mind <laughs> yeah yeah i mean she tries to get him to shoot himself in front of the mirror but you know he he pull, moves the gun at the last he second pulls, or something yeah, he like pulls that at and, the last second and just sort of grazes his i don't even know if he grazes yeah. his head but it's close yeah, yeah, so, but it blows the mirror into pieces which you know the jagged weapons are significant every time they show up yeah and and by by this time um there's been enough damage that she's actually had a seizure um you know, yeah. her body has 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 had a seizure. And uh, yeah, like earlier, there's some point where she starts coughing up blood. Yes. That might have been the seizure. Yeah. And um, the doctor who uh, handles the the hardware work um, is telling Gerter that uh, she thinks it's unlikely that uh, that Voss is salvageable. Um and that they're just going to have to kill Colin Tate, you know, some other way. Um, yeah. And, you know, but Gerter is is like, no, man. <laughs> it's like, I'm getting right. my shit pony out of this problem. By this point, 
Um, you know, I, I think we have, in fact, fucked up a little in terms of the timeline here, but it doesn't matter because in a lot of ways, it's like all of this stuff is happening at the same time. Um, you're inside of your, your brain inside of a brain inside of a, another person's body. <laughs> the real matrix. Yeah, the real matrix. And, um, you know, and really, uh, you, it's like everything is happening at the same time. It's, it's, it's as though linear, linear time has become completely unstrung. Um, so Colin then goes to, uh, Michael's home and holds Michael at gunpoint. And essentially, he's like, I know you exist, talking to Voss. I know you exist, and I want you to come out and talk to me. Talk to me directly. <clears throat> and um, the interesting thing that he says to Michael before all that, before they get into all that, is that... Um, <clears throat> that monologue about the worm, about toxoplasmosis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, so your cat's, your wife's cleaning the cat box one day and a worm crawls inside of her brain. Yeah. It's an, it's a very great line of dialogue and it ends with something to the effect of, so who do you really love, your wife or the worm? Yes. Who are you really yeah, in love with? It gradually slightly changes or just, it's, it's kind of like a mental version of the, uh, how many grains of sand make a beach kind of philosophical question. Uh, and you know, how many, yeah. how many, how, how, what does integrity mean in terms of being yourself and how many changes to it can you still have and be yourself versus being a different person? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, what, how much of your original personality do you have to sustain in order to still be the person that you started out as? Um, and, you know, and, and it's, it's true. Michael knows sadly little about his own wife. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause doesn't Colin ask, you know, Michael, what do you think your wife does or what does your wife do? And yeah. Michael just doesn't understand even this, the point of the question. This is all alien to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's just like, she's out of town. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah. she travels, she travels for work, you know? Um, and, but what do you think her wife, her work is? I mean, you know, well, her work is being a worm. <laughs> you know, her work is being yeah. a worm. We get into this really, like, really heartbreaking. Eventually, we do have Tasia sort of materializes. Yeah. Um, at least mentally, you know, for him. And they have a conversation that way. And she basically says, yeah, kill him. I don't care. Yeah. This is what I always wanted. I thought it was a great line for that. I've, I've been considering. And yeah, Colin's a little taken aback because he's like, not only is that horrifying, but it's also his only bargaining chip. Yep. Yeah. It's like I've, I've been considering it for a while. You know, it's like being freed of all my personal attachments, you know. Um, but it's also just like, wow, that's an uh, interesting contrast to the fact that a couple scenes ago, as Colin, you said, I should have gone back to Michael. Uh, so, I mean, that's really, I guess the whole point of that is the, the brain damage that has been done to her is push things over into this. Wow. This is really a different person now in some way. Yeah. She just don't care. No more. Yeah. Yeah. And considering that the seizure appears to be a, the seizure appears to be a result of Colin trying to dig that Jack out of his head, um, mm -hmm. which traps her inside of his body to some degree. And um, so he's kind of, 
and accelerates the brain damage. He's kind of responsible for that last piece of brain damage, which is interesting in retrospect. So Michael knocks the gun from Colin's hand and Colin kills him with a meat cleaver. I mean, first he hacks off his like three of his fingers and it's so gross. They cut over and they're just curling. curling. It's true. Yeah. But again, a gun is useless and a knife is used. uh, And there's a lot of don't bring a knife to a gunfight type stuff, except it doesn't matter. Bring the knife. Yeah. Yeah. So I think here, when they show Colin going nuts with the meat cleaver on Michael, it's, you're really supposed to wonder how much of a discussion, how much. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's almost like they've um, they've bled so much into each other that she's damaged Colin as well. Yeah, they're a whole Colin's... new entity like a Dax. That's <laughs> yeah, true. It's true. Yeah, and but, um, not but yeah, it's yeah, no, it's very shocking because then the immediate next line we get when Colin sits back is "pull me out." So you at least know that some of Tasia is yes. there and was active during that. Pull. Or at least she's there enough that she can say, pull me out. Yes, pull me out. And then um, Ira pops up from behind, the, the kid. Poor little Ira. Little Ira pops up from behind, stabs Tate in the throat, finally killing him. I think the way they staged that was really cool. If I remember right, it's they, they just show a knife going into his throat. and You don't know at first who does it, but then they pan back they do, for a wider yeah. shot. And it's Colin and then they looking reveal at it's Ira, Ira yeah. but Tasha is still there to see her son. Yeah. Uh, and then the really heartbreaking stuff comes. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, she shoots her son in the face. Yeah. I mean, she slash he, you know, is it Colin? Um, yeah. Is, is it is it Colin uh, taking revenge on Voss or is it Voss? divesting herself of the last thing you know like i said that's all ambiguity yeah complete but they they do it really well as well with ira because so ira gets shot but ira's reaction to getting shot is not how a small child would probably react to getting shot no ira just stands there sort of detached like oh i've been shot in the chest yes and then says and then says pull me out. out Awesome so, scene. Like, this is really a good climax of this movie. Uh, just the way that it's all staged in this very small area, but you and you have so much tension, and it, it simultaneously moves very fast and then balances with these intimate conversations that are happening inside. Like, it's just a great blend of a whole bunch of stuff all at once. I mean, I'm a personal, I'm personally a sucker for when you can take one very simple phrase and have it elicit so much, like, just shock and dread. And that's what they do with Pull Me yeah, Up. Yeah, yeah. Because they establish it early on as like the phrase you say after you've killed someone and you're about to, you know, destroy the host. And we have that and then we have it turned on its head because Iris says it and you realize, oh, it's friggin' girder. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of people who uh, I've talked to who are like, you know, I didn't I didn't believe that last twist. That last twist came out of nowhere. And I'm like, no, I mean, girder says. You know, I it's too much of a risk for me to go in the machine anymore. I'm too old. It it could really it could kill me. It could damage me. But it doesn't mean she couldn't do it. And yeah, she's it very driven. Yeah. And 
and we've already, um, you know, the fact that she's willing to do it proves how much Voss means to her. You know, does it mean that it she means something to her emotionally? I don't you know, I think she does. But at the same time, she's her show pony. She's her she has ownership over her. She's she's her she's her mentee. She's her heir apparent, you know. And also, I don't think she was in Ira's body that long. No, she's her legacy. She probably only needed to be in there for a couple hours, right? Not even an hour, probably. I mean, so yeah, I mean, they probably knew they could probably track where Colin was going, so they just roll up. So here's a question: takes four hours for the surgery, so they do it ahead of time, and there you go. Here's a question: I'm just now thinking. Yeah, no, personally, I don't think she might have had Ira. um, uh, She might have had a, a. like a Jack put in Ira a while ago. He could have been pre-Jacked. Yeah. I mean, she's very early on. It's very telling when she's like, you divorced Michael, remember? Yeah. So she might've had all of this already set up. Like she might've had Jackson, Michael and an Ira just as like a fail. Just in case. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> that's super creepy. So who knows? Maybe Gerda was inside of Michael when um, Michael was having sex with <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, no, that gets into some stuff too. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yes, it is. Really beautiful, weirdly beautiful shot where a dead Colin and a dead Ira, sort of their hands in death, sort of the fingers touch, mm-hmm. and the, the blood, blood pool. pooling around, sort of looks like a heart. Yes, yeah, and again, it's it's uh, it is this weird. It's like, who do you love now? Do you love anybody? Who does the worm love? You know, the worm loves the other worm. Right. And then we get the mirroring where they uh, they pull Gerda out first and then they pull um, Tasha and they're sort of it's positioned similarly in the machines and sort of staring at each other in the same way. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, and they Gerda's... Say, I'm sorry, is this not the cell that we're in or is this different? <laughs> you know, Gerda is at least as much of a worm as Tasha is. Gerda must have killed hundreds of people over her. Yeah, she seems to have no qualms with hopping inside a little boy and getting him killed. Yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I have the impression that even if she didn't care about Voss, she's invested enough in this business enterprise to do something like that regardless. Like, if, Yeah, if, I mean, she's probably making many millions of dollars a year. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so just preserving all that is probably worth a small the risk to her to go into Ira's body. Yeah. So Voss is... In another debriefing at the end, she sorts through the same personal objects from the beginning of the film. She handles the butterfly again, but she does not express any guilt for killing it. And oh, very tellingly, this time it's just this was a butterfly I caught when I was young. I pinned it. Yes. Yeah. And and Gerda's like, very good. And um, uh, I'm going to. Uh, go into a little bit of, um, you know, uh, 101 symbology here, but let's face it, the butterfly is a symbol of transition, a symbol of change. And um, as we all know from Silence of the Lambs, um, and uh, in a lot of ways, this is, um, this is Tasia Voss, Emerging from her cocoon, you know, becoming the imago of who she always wanted to be, I suppose, 
or who she was meant to be. You know, this this is the culmination of that grooming that Gerder put her through. Um, and now, now I suppose she's the same kind of butterfly that uh, that Gerder is. So yeah. very, very. I much- think it's telling too that she the butterfly is dead and pinned to a board because exactly. it's like she's finally gone through the full transformation. It's just totally yes, dead exactly, and very much like a vampire very much like a vampire story, you know, Gerder, the vampire has made another vampire, which is the, you know, which is uh, often the middle, if not the end of a vampire story, you know? And what I, what I think is interesting too, that I've just wondered about is, so obviously you can read this as, okay, a lot of shit went wrong. How much of this was like planned by Gerder, you think? I don't think there's so much she could have planned ahead of time, but I don't know. No, I, I think mean, she's I... very prepared for contingencies, first yes. of all. She yes. has to be. I agree with that. She's a very strategically minded person, and I think you're right that she's prepared for contingencies. She obviously has been watching Voss for a while and she knows what kind of addict Voss is, what kind of what kind of thrill she's after. You know, but she also has to know what mental state she's in because she's been doing psychological testing yes, on her, and because she's gone through this herself. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like so. Like she has to know that she's sort of not up to it and is still putting her yeah. in. Um, I think that what happens with a lot of possessors is that they probably destroy themselves. Um, they reach a point where things are, you know, the brain damage has gotten to a point where you you move the wrong way and you just take yourself out too. And it doesn't matter all that much, but she really wants Voss to survive because she's, I don't know, I guess her best person. She's an asset. You start to, yeah, she's you start asset. to also wonder about her own uh, sociopathy, Gerda, I mean, because yes. if she's gone through as much as Voss has, She's got to be just total sociopath at this point. Well, this point. is the thing. I mean, I, I can't see how the fact that she talks about with regret about not being able to get into the machine anymore, not being able to risk getting in the machine anymore. You know, yeah. it's she obviously came up that way. She went through this process. So it's not the same thing as just being somebody's handler. It's the thing where you want to spread the stain, where you want to deform somebody in the same way that you've been deformed. Well, it's like, yeah, a very serious heroin addict getting somebody into it. Like, they know what's going to happen, and they just don't care. Or they care in a very perverse way and and selfish way. Or they want somebody to suffer as much as they have. Misery loves company. And and you do have the impression that Gerder could have created another future of herself. No mm-hmm. boss could be the next garter, for all we know. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. And I but, think uh, that, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, uh, whatever um, urge for companionship that she had for Michael has been transferred to Gerder, whatever urge that she had as a mother that used to apply to Ira will possibly be moved over to whoever she mentors. Yep. To replace her. Yeah. Circle of life. Yep. The circle of possession. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, that's 
That's the movie. That's the movie. I, I, I do want to go back to the butterfly thing, though, because there was another observation and question that I had about specifically the use of color. Mm. Um, you know, so much of the important, you know, figurative use of color in this is focused on this clinical yellow along yes. the gradient into orange and then into red. And given that we end up with the image of the deep red blood pooling in the house and then the butterflies deep blood red color. Yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of an important um, parallel of transition and, and change that is being represented there. Because then, you know, after that uh, image of the butterfly fills the camera, you, you go to the, the closing title and it's very heavy clinical yellow again with that little black, uh, text of the yes. movie title and I thought okay well I, I think here we have an interesting use uh, where we've got this this yellow to red transitioning uh, and that heavy red in the butterfly which I hadn't really thought about it in the butterfly until you really got into that uh, but I think that's a you know there's there's so much to this movie that you could unpack you could probably write a paper just about the use of that those particular colors uh, yes. but I just thought that was yeah. worth pointing out and asking what you all thought about how that's working in the movie yeah absolutely I, I completely agree um what I, it's like, you know, uh, is it an enjoyable movie? I enjoy it, but one of the things that I enjoy about it is how strategized it is, how beautifully worked out it is. And I enjoy watching movies where from the beginning to the end, you feel as though things have been pre-planned, not in a dead way, but in a living way. And that as much information has been rammed into this thing as possible, visual information, um, information through editing, information through performance, information through what's said, what's not said, what's shown, what's not shown. This is, uh, this is a movie that has a thesis. And I, you know, that's what makes me happy as a critic. I think what I love about Possessor is that you can see the through line between antiviral and Possessor yeah. in terms of Brandon Cronenberg's uh, visual sensibility and his, his I mean, you know, uh, antiviral, I forget the actor's name, but it's also a very, in this case, he's a redhead, but it's also a very like kind of pale blondish character oh yeah caleb landry jones uh, that's him yeah. i actually yeah. just wrote a big paper on byzantium and he's uh, a co-star in that and uh, he's also in yeah, and Abbey as well for a couple of one or two seasons love byzantium um love but it. what i like as well is that it does it it's not exactly the same tone as antiviral like antiviral is a much more i think tongue-in-cheek kind of takedown of uh celebrity worship whereas possessor is a much more you know it's also taking place in a near future, but it's getting into more of a, um, how do I phrase it? I, I guess like the, what does it mean to be a like person? What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be you? And does that change if you have to become someone else? Yep. Yeah. It's, it's more than just a cautionary SF tale because like it could very easily be flat if it was just a, you know, this would be bad if we had this technology, but it's, it's, layers and pack so much detail in there that the questions become much broader because it doesn't show it as all bad it really doesn't yeah. Yeah. no that's the thing that's the thing um the trouble with normal is it always gets worse this is a <laughs> you know what is the baseline 
of technology. What is what is the technology that's available to you? You know, it's like even within the last 10 years, um, things have changed so remarkably. You know, I'm, I'm a person who got my first compute, you know, my first Internet um, friendly computer when I was 25. So I've seen a lot of things change. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, I think what's really interesting is I I've seen articles and I know there are books about just how the fact that. Actually, our minds can't really keep up with the um, with the technology, basically, like we can invent new technology, mm-hmm. but like we don't really know how it's affecting our minds. Like we're just learning what social media has done to people in general we've just learned what like you know that sort of like rapid input of um serotonin based on clicking things like we're yeah we're finally getting books about it and how it's increasing suicide rates in teens and all of the dangers and all of the warping of the minds and if you just extrapolate even five years into the future 10 years it's both wonderful and terrible exactly it's like what is that going to be like we just don't know. Because, yeah, it's much like Possessor. It's like, you have the technology. You can do it. Should you do it? <laughs> and if you do choose to do it, what's the cost going to be to the human mind? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what's even creepier, really, when you think about it, is that mm, Colin's job and Voss's job are two ends of the same scale. Yeah. You know, and, um, well, Voss's job isn't boring. I guess. That's true. (laughs) That's the opposite of mundane. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, probably both of them are doing damage to the brains of the people who are having to do them. And Um, it's all for money. Both of them are doing it for, in some degree. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's that, it's that, um, yeah, it's, it's very much that, you know, dating back to Neuromancer. That idea of, you know, the the future that's yeah, the future's here, and the future is controlled by a corporate mindset. And corporations are people, and the people they are are psychopaths. Yeah, and I I would also be remiss if I didn't mention there's a great use of an Orville Peck song in this. Who is a Toronto? He's at least from Toronto. He's a masked uh, country singer. Masked gay country singer. Um, but I don't know. I like that he's getting like yeah. you know movie work. Yeah, so I do. I do as well. Anyway, thank you very much for inviting me. And he also this. wears a mask. I just got That's that. That's true. Mm-hmm. I don't think they well, intentionally we're all picked wearing him up masks because of it. But... No. Um, thank you very much for in uh, inviting me to talk about this because, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies of the last couple of years. Yeah, I definitely think it was one of the better films of 2020. It makes me very excited to see uh, what Brandon Cronenberg does next. Um, because he's just he's just an interesting filmmaker. Yes. Yeah, this is great. Um, I actually but, still have not seen Antiviral. I, I need to see that. I, I, this was my first of his movies. I mean, I really liked Antiviral. I don't know if everybody does. It's definitely a little more... It's a little more like darkly comedic. Like they literally get into like, you can get designer herpes, you know, it's sort of like you can get Scar Joe's herpes kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, the kind of herpes that it's like this celebrity obsessed like. culture where you can like go to a place that like 
you know, take a celebrity, they make meat, like artificial meat from that celebrity you can eat. That's celebrity oh. steaks. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I loved it, but it's definitely totally. It's I think a little. It's still messed up, but it's maybe a little less heavy. Mm-hmm. Whereas I prefer this because it's heavy, <laughs> and you know that is the big question I have. I don't know if which one I prefer. I'd have to really watch them back to back. I like both. I think I prefer antiviral, but that's more just based on my own sensibility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a. You know, I'm a I'm a blood and thunder kind of person. I I prefer opera to operetta. Yeah, I mean, you know, actually, I mean, not that Shakespeare wrote opera, but this had, by the time she's gotten to killing her family and there's this this house full of death, it feels like a very Shakespearean tragedy moment at that end. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it does in a way that it doesn't necessarily feel like an antiviral. Antiviral is much more of a kind of exploring this celebrity obsessed culture and following somebody that's like living inside of it. But this is much more of a like grand operatic. I still love it though. So I'd have to watch back to back, like both of them, you know, to really decide. Oh, that would be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible thing to have to do to yourself. I'd have to make like a antidepressant cocktail before. it. But but yeah, I mean, I think that's going to wrap it up. You know, we've been talking for two hours, ten minutes, so obviously it's a great film. Um, I watched it on Hulu. I believe it was in 4K. Hulu's weird. They don't ever actually say if it's in 4K, I don't think. Um, I think it was. But anyway, it's on Hulu. And uh, it's obviously available on Blu-ray and streaming and all that. Um, so this has been Celluloid Citizens. We're on Twitter at Celluloid Sits. We're on anchor.fm slash Celluloid Sits. We have a Patreon. I'd like to thank Shane and Paula for being our first two patrons. Woo. And uh, pretty soon I should start talking with people about more new content we can do for the Patreon. Uh, but yeah, if you want to throw me a dollar, we got a Twin Peaks Season 3 episode with me and Chris. We got a torture porn special with uh, Chris, Brian, and myself. And there's a mini episode on the Midnight, I believe it's the Midnight Gospels, the cartoon show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of good stuff coming out soon. So yeah, check that out. Um, but until then, this is uh, Cellulite Citizens. I've been Sean M. Thompson. I'm Christopher Burke. And I'm Gemma Files. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a spiffy thing to say. <laughs>